All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Critical Oxygen Podcast, where we help you optimize your physiology and maximize your athletic potential. I'm your host, Phil Batterson, and today we are joined by Aaron Geyser. He's a triathlete and endurance coach for EnduriQ, where he coaches pro triathletes like Elizabeth Heinbach and Meg Dorito. Aaron is going to be our endurance coaching expert on the podcast and give us insights for how we can use the science of endurance training in a truly applied way. Aaron Geyser, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on, man. Phil, I'm excited to be here. It's uh, it's always nice when we connect, and in this realm, I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah. So, um, just a little bit of a backstory. Aaron and I met uh, as so I work as a physiologist for Moxie Monitor, which is a near infrared spectroscopy company. And Aaron and his, uh, you know, uh, it's my job to make sure Red and IQ got some got their hands on some Moxie monitors, and the coaches and their athletes are happy. So him and I met and, you know, we kind of hit it off and we've been really, you know, kind of like we were just vibing, you know, from the beginning, like, uh, you know, good rapport, other things. And I was like, Aaron, what do you think about, you know, coming and being a co-host on a podcast that I'm trying to start up? And, uh, he, he agreed and, you know, this is kind of our test run. So, uh, so if it goes well, uh, Aaron will be coming back quite a bit too. I wouldn't have asked him to come on if it wasn't, um, but, but yeah, so, so. Yeah, no, I know you were, I was like, I was like, we've talked, you know, like two or three times, but every time we talk, like, I think, I think it's been great. So, uh, you know, you want to come on the podcast and he agreed. So, so yeah, man, I'm really, I'm really excited to have you on. So, uh, he is currently training for what is it? Ironman half Ironman Augusta. That is correct. Yeah. Building up to that. When it, when is it? So September 24th. So we're coming up on about two weeks out. So start start taper here pretty soon yeah what's your what's your taper looking like so next week looking roughly at about 16 hours worth of training when kind of i've been holding 23 to 25 for the last probably five weeks so it's about 16 hours kind of back down on the volume but still keep a little bit of spiky um tough sessions in there, but just a little bit shorter. And then race week, uh, my wife and I will be traveling down on Wednesday. And really that week, it's about a 50%, like it's around seven or eight hours worth of total volume with a couple of primers leading in and just kind of shakeouts the day before. So it's, it's kind of a, pretty standard approach that we use at Endure IQ, but just trying to keep everything tip top while backing off some of the intensity and allowing the body to recover and get that energy that you've probably lacked for, for however mm-hmm. long you've been in that, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Real co- competitive phase. Yeah. I mean, especially with working up to, you know, 23 to 25 hours a week, man, that's like, that's a lot of volume. And yeah. How did it, did it take you? It probably took you quite a while to, to build up to that. Well, I guess Phil, to be honest with you, I kind of just even in normal training weeks, I probably hold a good 16 to 18 hours worth of training just normally. Okay. So it wasn't necessarily kind of like this huge jump in what I was doing before. It just, most of that additional time too, I, I really 
didn't like I designated it more zone two or just endurance work just to add in that additional endurance level. But it, it wasn't a great deal of it's not like I took that 18 and added five to eight hours worth of super intense work. It right. wasn't that good. So the body just did not seem to the body absorbed it and responded really, really well. So awesome. the additional work I just kind of took really, really from, from my knowledge and how I would do it with another athlete was mm -hmm. just kind of making it very, very almost you and I've talked about this. I call it guiltily easy work. Right. So you feel guilty of how easy you're going, but it, it did allow me to kind of move the needle from a physiological standpoint and just get that, that sharpness that I needed to in some of those more spiky efforts. Yeah, no, I, I think that the way that you described. So for everybody who's unfamiliar, and we're going to talk about this, you know, probably every single episode for the next, you know, 100 episodes, <laughs> zone two training, right, you know, is kind of this like, everyone's baby right now. And I, I think a lot of the times, you know, we really get focused on, oh, well, I have to kind of be at that, like that knife edge of of the zone two into zone three. And I think, you know, from my understanding of, of what Aaron and I have talked about, you know, make it easier than that because that allows you to accumulate more volume, not overtax your system, still gain physiological benefits and then be better in your high intensity stuff. Right. You know, it's like, it's like what people talk about, like the 80, 20 rule, but let's say the 80% doesn't have to be at that, you know, like borderline of zone two, it could be, you know, like, like, 10 or 20% below, you're still getting close to that by just exercising and being on the bike or on the, on your feet. Right. So yeah, I'm kind a fan. How I sweeping it up a little bit, Phil is looking at it as the overall management of stress. Mm -hmm. And if I have a larger percentage of race pace efforts or I mean, in this, in this prep, like, preparatory state, I am spending a little bit more time in zone three because that's what I race at. Just right. trying to get more comfortable with that. Right. But in that, there is 100% less physiological benefits, but there is a greater demand on physiological stress. Mm -hmm. And what I look at that additional work as is I don't want to add necessarily to the, I don't want to take that stress to an unmanageable point. Mm -hmm. So by going a little bit lower in that effort level, I'm still getting the response and the return that I want without adding that additional layer of stress, which is what ends up, you know, increasing the likelihood of soft tissue injuries or other things like that. Right. That's really, that's where it becomes super, super important. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think that's good for people to know. And I think it's it's especially important when you're trying to build your volume, right? Um, you know, you and and I told this to an athlete that I've been coaching lately. I was like, look, like you're you want to do all your runs at seven flat pace, and we're trying to build your volume from, you know, 25 miles a week to 40 miles a week. We're not going to be able to maintain that seven those seven minute miles. So it's okay to go eight minute miles, nine minute miles. It's kind of, you're, you're going to probably feel like you're going way, way, way too slow, but that's what we're, you know, that's the purpose of it right now. 
And then once we mm-hmm. actually, cause she's, she's a cross country runner. So I'm like, well, once we, once we get into the season, we'll lower your volume a little bit more. We'll sharpen you up with, you know, those VO two max intervals, threshold intervals, those sort of things. And, and, and you'll start to feel fine. And, you know, so, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's, it's just managing expectations, I think at that point, and then giving people the okay to go slower than, you know, what they think is. Well, and that's one of the fascinating things about coaching individuals all over the world too, is that each one of them is going to be in a different climate and you have to take that into account Mm -hmm. too, because as we all know, if we go out for a run in the middle of the summer, no matter where you're at, you're going to feel completely different than if you go out in a crisp fall day or first part of the spring your body's going to react, your heart rate's going to react completely different in those scenarios. And based on that response, it's going to be how much stress load is building on top of your body. Yep. And yeah, you might be able to hold three days or four days of that and feel really, really good. But at some point, there's going to start to be a crack in that foundation. Yes. And if you continue to push through, things are just going to start to like crumble on you and fall over. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Um... I think uh I think that's something that I've really been focusing on in my uh critical oxygen Instagram post lately is this idea of using your physiology to kind of dictate your training a little bit more, you know, like listen to your heart rate. Don't it's not all, always about wattage, right? Because like exactly like what you said, if it's a hotter day or if you're dehydrated, your wattage, like say 200 is, you know, your, your zone two pace, that'd be pretty good. Um, like that physiological stress could be, you know, 140 beats per minute on some days or other days when you've gotten a ton of sleep and everything, 120 beats per minute. So Mm -hmm. that's going to look greatly different in terms of that stress response that your body is getting from an hour of 200 watt work but you know, like a lot of cyclists are just like, nope, I, I know my, I know my thresholds. I know my zone. So I'm just going to always ride at that mechanical power. Right. And, you know, I think there's, there's room, there's room for improvement there. Absolutely. And how many times do you have a conversation with an athlete and they're like, well, I, I'm, I'm just stagnant. I'm not getting better. Yeah. And then you get into what they've been doing and it's, it's pretty much what you just yeah. said, Phil. And it's like, Oh, Hey, the light bulb turns on pretty quickly and it's like, well, here's your issues. And sometimes that with, with a sport and sports where it attracts a lot of type A personalities, sometimes that's the hard, as a coach, that's one of the challenges you have to cross with is having someone understand that, look, yes, you are successful most likely in your life because you've always pushed the gas pedal to the Mm -hmm. floor in this case, that's not where your best outcome is going to come from. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I a hundred percent agree with that. And it's, it is, it's interesting because, you know, I think, you know, we, with, with like the Strava stuff out there and all of that though, people also, it feeds into that type A personality. Oh, well, I need mm-hmm. to PR every single day. And you're like, no, no, no. You want to PR on race day. Who gives a shit if you're if you're PRing and beating everybody in a zone two workout? In my that's my opinion. Is like I would rather win on race day and have a bunch of absolute like quote unquote garbage work garbage looking workouts where it's like and 
here's another example. So I used to run, uh, I ran cross country for a, a community college and the fastest guys on the team were the slowest runners during our recovery runs. Mm-hmm. Like, like every single time the people who were the fastest in practice were the slowest on the course. So, you know, so like, and of course, you know, that's like, that's like N of like five, but maybe. Well, and I would probably also question the, the injury risk and history to those individuals that were running slower. If they spent more time in the training room or spent more time out of it, I would guess that they spent more time out of the training room and, probably set themselves up for even longer term success when they got out of college because they're just more robustly built. They're yeah. more like delayed, they're more calloused and they're just able to be more efficient and resilient to breakdowns. Mm-hmm. No, I, and I think that is, that is one of the big things is uh, the, that coach, I was just back home talking to him and he was like, yeah, the big difference between, you know, those guys that have the big breakout years, you know, like at the Stanford's and the Oregon's and other places like that, um, they always say, you know, I had a year of consistent training where I wasn't injured. And then they have these mm-hmm. breakthroughs. And you're like, you're like, shouldn't that be obvious? Shouldn't we be trying to, you know, like keep people consistent for as long as possible? Because that's going to give us the, the the best chance of having success, right? Because you're, you can, you can, you can kind of fudge the numbers a little bit by say, for example, like this is what I used to do. And this is really stupid. So nobody do this. Nobody do this. <laughs> I got it in my head that, Oh, if I ate less and weighed less, I would race faster because I can't, I would come off of, um, you know, like a wrestling season where I went from, you know, like 150 to like 135 or something like that. I was a rail. And, but then I'd be running PRs at the beginning of the season, but I wouldn't even last the entire season until getting injured. You know, my, my foot would break. I would have Achilles tendon issues. I would have, you know, it band issues, those sort of things. But I had it in my head that since I was lighter, I'd be faster. And indeed I was for a very short period of time. Whereas if I would have eaten adequately and, you know, trained a little bit slower and been a little bit more, uh, attuned to what my body was saying, then I probably would have stayed healthy and then made those PRs, you know, like a year or two down the road. Mm-hmm. Well, I can look back and, you know, there, there's a lot of conversations that can come from COVID, but during that year of 2020, where I had athletes that just we had no races to worry about. So it was just focused on training really for that almost 16 month stretch. Mm -hmm. And where I really saw a number of athletes that were able to kind of keep the motivation through that stretch, the improvements that they made in that timeline with not having to worry about us kind of ramping up for particular races or anything. It was just solely focused on, okay, here's the weaknesses. Here's what we want to do. We want to continue to drive this. We want to build this up. You you move the the levers that you needed to move, but there was nothing 
running you down as far as events behind that. And I just see how much that helped individuals that I'm still coaching that we went through that process. So you're exactly right there, Phil. It's, it's really, it's putting that big block of training down that's consistent, Mm -hmm. that, that doesn't necessarily have a bunch of interruptions or other things like that is where you're going to find the biggest gains. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, has, has that changed the way, like did the whole COVID thing, did that change the way you coach athletes and, and like, get them to race and do things like that? Do you have them race less or did it not really change too much? Well, I think it depends on the athlete that's coming to you. Uh, Often with the pro athletes, you know, we want to build up to specific races. We want to peak at those right race times because one, whether you're trying to get to a world championship and then perform greatly at that world championship or There's more involved in that process, but I feel like with the age groupers, there's still kind of that, I I love to race. I love Mm -hmm. to race. And and there's that kind of itch that needs to get scratched from that. So I feel like it's just different due to the athlete and the group that you're working with to answer that question. Like for myself, I I enjoy training too much to (laughs) let, like to let, events interrupt my training cycle. Yeah. So I almost train first and allow some races to then kind of fall into the calendar of how I'm feeling, how I'm shaping mm-hmm. up and then really kind of six weeks out, maybe ramp everything up from, and that's kind of, as we talked about earlier, how I trained for Augusta, right. I was in this point where I could really pivot and go one way or another I just kind of like that because, hey, my body feels really good. I feel like I can put this stress on it. Okay, there's something six weeks out. There's something eight weeks out. And then tackle that one rather than sign up for five or six races. Like I had a conversation with an athlete yesterday who's – we will complete this year at racing six races. And there's that up and down and – He's just flirting with a little bit of thought of burnout and other things for like sure. that. And I don't blame him because we started his kind of prep for the early portion of the season back in late November, early December. Wow. And it just, when you look at it that way, it's like, Hey man, you really do need, we, we need to get you to a break. Yeah. So after this, we let's shut it down. Yeah. So it, it really, it just depends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I, like from what you said about, you know, like the, I think, I think there is a tendency for people to over race, just like there's a tendency for people to over prescribe intensity. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, like one of the, one of the first signs that you're overdoing it is if you're losing motivation to go out and train. That's like, that's like, should be your first red flag. You're like, oh my gosh, like I have to go train today. Crap. Like, you know, and granted some days you don't want to train. It's totally, it's totally true. But if you have something set up, you know, for example, like if you, if you just love training, like for, here's a good example. So today, so we, we're, we're in the process of buying a house and then moving into a house, which is really exciting, but we don't have anything. Like we don't, we're like, I was living, I was living in one room in college for the last four years. So I have like nothing in terms of like, you know, stuff to fill out a house. 
Um, so the, the community that we live in is doing like a community wide garage sale. So there's like 80 houses or something like that, that are having a garage sale within our community. So today we like woke up in the morning and I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my Instagram stuff and then I'm going to get on the bike for a little bit. And then I'm going to have my conversation with you and then I'll go, you know, do some garage sale stuff. And then I was like, you know what? I don't actually, it's okay. I don't have to ride and train today. I can, you know, I can do it later after, after we actually go and try to get some stuff for our house. And, you know, we went, we went to this one, one place and we needed fencing and they had like fencing that they essentially gave us, you know, gave to us for like 20 bucks. We got like a bunch of rugs. We got like pretty much everything we possibly need. And, you know, and I don't feel guilty about missing, you know, that training session in the morning. Whereas, you know, if this was something where it was like, oh, I'm racing, you know, coming up soon, then like that stress of, of getting the workout in and doing all the extra stuff, you know, would kind of be building up. And, you know, I'll probably do some sort of workout, you know, in the afternoon or something, but and it's because I like it. Cause I get to, I get to sit on my bike. I get to like, I have a, my bike set up. It's like a little walkway back behind me. And so it's like outside, but it's shaded. Um, and you know, I'll have my, I'll have my iPhone with my, with my YouTube going and I'll watch like a YouTube video or something <laughs> like that, you know, and you know, it'll be enjoyable. It's, you know, it's kind of like a little bit of me time and that's what I enjoy about it right now. Um, so, so I think, I think the, the bottom line or the, the, yeah, like the, the moral of that story is, is like, if you, if you start to enjoy the process a lot more, then you won't have that feeling of, I need to race all the time. And once you reduce that, then it's like, Ooh, I'm feeling pretty good. Like you were saying, so now I'm going to build up for six weeks and then I'm going to go crush this race. And then I'm going to go back to what I love, you know, doing the training <laughs> and, and, I guess if you take me as kind of that example, I just look at it and my stress levels are so much lower in in that sense. It it it, it just allows me to kind of enjoy the moment, mm -hmm. enjoy what I'm doing, enjoy everything that's around that, and then okay, I might put myself in the hurt locker for a good stretch of six weeks or four weeks of that, but that's a small amount of time where if you have three events over the course of like a three or six month time frame, mm -hmm. you're never really coming down. No. You're never getting, you, you come out of that event. And the first thing that you're starting to think about is, okay, I got to get ready for this next one. It's not, okay, let me let the body rejuvenate. Mm -hmm. Let me kind of get that love back. Let me feel like I don't have to do this. I want to do mm -hmm. this. And often when you have that over racing, it just, the athletes feel like I got to turn this thing back up. Mm -hmm. And my, how are you feeling? How's the body responding? Let's put you through a, a real easy workout and let's see where your heart rate and how your effort matches up with that yeah. heart rate. And if those two are not anywhere on the same page, we, no, you're not ready. We're, we just need to back it off right. a little bit. And sometimes when I feel like that's one of those super important reasons to have a coach is that if you don't, you're more likely to just kind of jump right back into training. Yep. You almost kind of shut down your thought of 
okay, this this feels awful. This should be an easy effort, but it feels tough. Right. Well, probably because you just got done. You just got off the course of one and you're trying to get ready to get back on a course for another one that's still six weeks away or whatnot. No, I know it's, yeah, it's that revolving door of like, okay, got to ramp it back up. And, you know, I was coaching a guy and he was the type of person who wanted to sign up for a bunch of races. And then it wound up, you know, he didn't have a good race and then got discouraged. And then he like, you know, would DNF a race and, or, you know, like something like that. And then he'd just be like, dude, I'm, I'm not motivated anymore. And I was like, I was like, man, we start the season out so motivated every single year. And then by the time we even get to the first race, it's like, you know, we're so, so I really had to work with him a lot on managing the stress, managing the stress outside of, you know, just training. Right. You know, cause like, mm-hmm. cause family stress, life stress, work stress, all that all plays into how you're feeling in terms of being able to take on training load. And I, I know for my, I know for a fact for, for myself, when I was doing my PhD, my, my stress was like already, you know, like 90 to 95% as high as it could be. So then anytime I would start training, even though I wanted to, it would be like, yeah, no, like, you know, yeah, I'd like get injured or I wouldn't be able to like get better or like other things. Um, you know, so, so that, and, and that's like something people, I think like they don't, they don't take into account all the other life stress. And like a lot of people just kind of like white knuckle it, put their head down, you know, like this motivation culture that we have, right. Where it's just like, yeah, you just got to work 16 hours a day and then you got to train on top of that. And you got to wake up at four in the morning and you got to do all this stuff. I'm just like, I'm like, that's just a good way to burn yourself out. Like, but also on top of that, what do we learn in school in exercise phys is that you're going to recover better when you sleep and you have these athletes that will, the first thing that they're going to shave off is a good two or three hours of sleep to get back into a training environment. Well, I hate to tell you, but like athlete, you're not going to improve by that loss of three hours of sleep. So yeah, I give you credit for being that like, structured and that like dedicated to the goal but sometimes we we need to measure what's going to give us the greater return and sometimes that training bout is not going to be it it's the rest that comes like that you don't think about yeah no exactly and that's that's again coming full circle right that's that's where this like laughably easy you know, zone, you know, easy, easy stuff comes in. Right. Because, Absolutely. you know, if you're, if you're not feeling up to it, it's like, it, it doesn't make a difference if you do a workout. Well, it could make a difference if you did a hard workout the day where you shouldn't do a hard workout, but it doesn't make a difference if you push it one day after. Right. right. You know, you recover one day, you're like, okay, well, my legs are feeling real heavy. I'm feeling exhausted. I'm just going to get on the bike and spin, you know, for an hour and a half. And eat a bunch of carbs and get, you know, refueled and stuff. Well, and even with that, sometimes there is that kind of mental hurdle that needs to get over in that first 15 or 20 minutes of training too. And I think it is valuable sometimes for an athlete to go in and feel that response. And sometimes you'll work your way through it and then you'll get super motivated. Mm -hmm. But then other times, but it's being perceptive enough in that moment to recognize, yeah, today's not the day. I I just need to dial it back and pull it back. Or, 
you know what? I, I really was not looking forward to this session before I got in, but after the 10, 15, 20 minute warm up, mm-hmm. man, I'm ready to go. Yeah. So it, it's from an athlete perspective, it, it's really being perceptive and, and yeah, it might be on your calendar, but sometimes if you adapt to how your body's feeling, that calendar is going to take you in a wrong direction where if you adapt, you're going to go mm-hmm. in the right direction. So it, it's, it's really, I get for the basic athlete who, who does not have a re or a knowledge in this field and also doesn't have a coach to rely on. It can be a very, very tough <laughs> like decision on a day-to-day basis of when is too much, when is not enough, where should I go? What direction? Yeah. That, that's where I think it is critical for having some, at least even if you don't want to have a coach, having somebody that you can bounce ideas off yeah. of, because sometimes getting a different perspective outside of your own mind can at least make you make a rational and smart decision that ultimately is going to end up playing some more benefit somewhere down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's something that, you know, I've always been really bad at is like, I'm really good at giving people advice for what they should be doing correctly. And then I'm horrible at taking my own advice, right? Like, I'm like, Oh, yeah, you need to do way more easy stuff and and all of that. And, you know, I've, I've slowly been coming around to this idea that, Oh, maybe I should hire a coach, like if I really want to, you know, start to maximize my, uh, you know, recovery and my potential and other things like that. But, you know, I, I've just, I've always been the type of person who's like, well, I haven't found a coach who I can buy in, you know, with, and I really yeah. trust what they're telling me because most of the time when I ask my coach, Hey, why are we doing this? They're just like, cause I said so, you know, it's not like, it's not like they, they don't have a good <laughs> rational explanation for it. It's like, because I'm the authority figure. And because I said, we're doing this today. I'm just like, like, well, um, okay. Uh, you lost all credibility from me. So it's going to be really hard for me to, you know, listen to you going forward. Um, I also think, uh, to, to go back to your point about, you know, like, like sometimes you enter a workout and you feel like shit and you're like, like, oh my gosh, like this is going to be terrible. Your mindset's not there, those sort of things. But then after a warm up, you're like, oh, I actually feel pretty good. And this is something that I've been, I've been like, you know, talking to talking ad nauseum about is do a warm up every single day. Like, do a warm up for your easy workouts, do a warm up for your hard workouts. Like, first of all, that's going to get you into it's a habit. You're forming a habit there. So psychologically, you're like, okay, well, overcoming that barrier to not want to work out you just do your warm-up and then after your warm-up you're you know go into the workout if you feel like crap then go easy if you feel better go hard um and you know that's another thing like i I just took a poll on on instagram i was like oh how many of you warm up every single day how many of you warm up sometimes and you know it was like the majority was like just sometimes not every single day and I mean, if you're going out and doing, you know, like a, if you know you're doing a super easy ride, then maybe you could get, get away with it. But I'm still of the mindset is like, well, you know, you're going to need to do a warm up before your race. So you might as well practice doing a warm up every single day to get yourself better at getting warmed up. Because if you practice it, you get better at it. Like I would, I just, when you, when you present that, I have this follow-up question of, so like, 
to those individuals that say sometimes or not at all, like, what do you like? Are you jumping into 30, 30, like zone five? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's so many questions that come from like, what, wh- how do you, if you do not warm up, how do you get into your workout? Yeah. And it's just, and that, that stunning to me. Yeah, no, I know it's, uh, I have, I, I think, so, so one of the things that I think is challenging about say using things like, uh, Zwift and other say like, er, like I I'm doing a lot of cycling training now. So I'm, I'm like thinking about this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So like Zwift or, uh, Wahoo has their own, you know, like workout builder and stuff, but a lot of them are just based on erg mode, right? You know, you have your FTP and you know, then your power output sort of stuff. So, so where it gets challenging, at least for me is like, I'm like, man, sometimes I need to get on the bike and do my warm up at like a hundred Watts like barely pushing the pedals, but other times I feel good at 150. So it doesn't make sense, you know, to have like a quote unquote standardized warm up to mechanical power, because sometimes I just feel like crap, but you can't right now, we don't have technology that's smart enough to either work on heart rate or even better work on like, you know, muscle oxygenation, which is, which is kind of what I prefer to do for my warm up. Um, and you know, there's, it's still few and far between to be able, unless you have like a fan bike, which isn't applicable to most people, right? They have like a Wahoo with like a Wahoo kicker with their bike mounted to it. And you know, they're, they're just, you know, doing the workouts that their coach pushes to them. Um, or you, you know, if you're going outside, then it's easy, right? You have your Moxie on or, you know, other nears device, and then you just, you know, do your warm up to your physiology or use your heart rate. But, but that's like, that's like kind of one of the barriers that I have is that you can't necessarily standardize a warm up. So maybe people are like, well, I'll just ride easy, you know, in erg mode and adjust it up and down and then go from there. I, yeah, I don't know. Well, and I think that that, like, I'm a big advocate of Zwift. I mean, I lead a couple of rides on, on that system for Endure IQ, mm-hmm. but Last November, I think it was, they they made an improvement, or at least I saw it as an improvement, because up to that point, they only allowed you to adjust the bias 10%. So either 10% up or 10% down. But at that time, they made an adjustment to 25%. Okay. That 25% can be a massive range of watts right. in that case. And, and I feel like it, it's it's, again the athlete being perceptive, like you talked about, I feel like I need a hundred Watts in this case. Well, you just got to pull out your phone and dial back okay. down that. So you can, you can control it with your phone. Okay. You can, you just have to use the companion app in that case, but dial it back, have the have the Watts match up for hundred Watts and then just give your warm up a little bit of time. And then you can always add back the bias in yeah. that case. But I, I thought that that was one, like, they're always trying to continue all the, uh, to be honest, all of these applications mm-hmm. are always trying to, if we look back at the development of these applications over the last five or six years, it's amazing. Yeah. But I really, I, I like some of the newer features that allow you to kind of, man, I just feel clunky. Mm-hmm. 130 just feels rough right now. So let's dial it back. And you now have the capability to yeah. do that. So it's just, recognizing and 
not being too proud. I I often, I tell athletes, really, I care about your output. You care about your output. But the rest of the world, it doesn't matter. Like, they don't mean anything. I would much rather us build to something for you rather than you putting yourself out there. Well, I did this. Well, really, in that case, it doesn't mean anything Mm -hmm. because nobody cares. it, it's when you start breaking down watts per kilo and everything else, it it just is. A, I mean, it levels things out. Right. But in that case, the only person that cares about your training most likely is you. And if you do have a coach, it's you and your coach. Right. Nobody else. Like I could, I come home, talk about my bike workout with my wife, and she just looks at me like, "What the hell are you she's talking like, about?" She's like, "I heard it's like, oh, so you worked out today? Like that's that's all she heard. She didn't hear like." <laughs> Hey, I pushed 330 watts for five minutes. She's like, I, okay, yeah. great. It's how, if you're excited, yeah. I'm, I'm happy for yeah, you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so, that's so funny. That's uh, it puts it into perspective. And I think, I think that also, you know, that extends to life as well as like, you know, the, the person who cares most about what you are doing is you. And unless you, you know, unless you have like a coach or a boss or something like that, nobody else really, really cares. Right. Obviously don't take this to mean like, I'll go out and do like, you know, illegal stuff or hurt anybody or anything like that. But it it should give you the point of that is that it should give you a little bit of freedom to be like, okay, you know, I, if I can go easier, if I have to, or, you know, maybe, maybe I'm going to start a podcast with, with Aaron and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see where it goes, you know, sort of thing. Cause that's, that's kind of our, uh, you know, it's, it's just taking leaps of faith and, and doing things that, you know, like, like you feel that you should be doing and, and have the freedom to do it as well. Didn't mean for that to become a life coaching podcast either, but I, I think it, I think there are parallels between, you know, endurance training and life. And it's something that needs to be highlighted. 100%. And it's like, like you said, it, there there should be context to the content mm-hmm. it's uh, often people put content to a context before and if you don't know where you're going it really doesn't matter like you need to have the destination to get where you need to right. go so it's just know that plan then build up from that plan rather than just kind of not having anything just not being guided by anything yeah yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, so so with with the with the time that we have left, what I'd like to do is kind of get into um, you know, we've had really good conversation about, you know, like coaching and, you know, being an athlete and other things like that. So how Aaron, how did you kind of start to get into endurance stuff? You were we were talking offline earlier about, you know, like traveling baseball team or something like that. So I take it you had a little bit of a team sports background, but then what what happened where you try and kind of made that transition? So I I played baseball through my early twenties. I, I it just rounded everything for me. I, I I was able to travel a lot of different places. I was able to play at a lot of different levels and that that gave me the opportunity to kind of operate at high levels and at levels that most people don't get the opportunity to. Mm -hmm. And 
you when exposed to that opportunity, you kind of fall in love with certain aspects of I don't want to say the lifestyle, but just some of the the exposure that you have, some of the things that you can get your hands on. Mm -hmm. And it while completing my degree, I was still playing baseball at that point, but I I really was fascinated by the human body. So mm -hmm. I got a sports medicine degree with kind of focus in um, injury recovery and prevention that I was able to work in a number of different settings with that. It gave me a lot of different exposure and, and, you know, life lessons and knowledge that I use still to this day. And at some point I was exposed to just human performance and you, you, when you get exposed to human performance and if you find you, you yourself were always infatuated with your own maximization of human performance. Yeah. It, it kind of is something close to your heart. And in that, I, I don't know what necessarily triggered that, but I became infatuated with just human performance and trying to make not just, myself, but those around me, mm -hmm. better individuals and better athletes. And with that, it, it took me to get the exercise physiology degree and then put, you know, more there. And at that point, I had just started to do triathlon. Okay. And it, it, it really, when you're going through that process and you're learning so much about exercise phys and, and physiology of the human body endurance sports you're like man there is a really large connection mm -hmm, here mm -hmm. and, and it just kind of made a natural transition to to try to continue to drive myself in that human performance aspect yeah and the time that I invested in learning and trying to connect with other individuals within the field, it ended up kind of taking shape of a career. Yeah. And about five, five years ago, I got connected with Dr. Dan Plews, who is the founder of Endure IQ. We, we had some good conversations at that point. He was actually starting to think about kind of developing a coaching program around him mm -hmm. and it was a natural kind of developed relationship that he said hey do you want to come on board i'd, I'd love to have you and it, it's just kind of rolled downhill from there in a very very positive way just gaining a lot of momentum and getting into being able to connect those two dots as exercise physiology and um endurance sports with somebody that I, I think so highly of and would put on, you know, the Mount Rushmore of exercise physiologist in the world. Yeah. It's just, I've been able to gather so much knowledge in that. And I'll tell you what, the last five years have been a little bit of a blur because we've grown so much, right. but it's been, a, it's been a freaking blast, man. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. So actually this, I think the first time we actually met was out at Kona at the coaches mm -hmm. talk. Cause you came up to me and then we just started talking about stuff and I, I haven't met Dan in person yet, 
but I'm hoping to at some point because he, you know, like we've, we've talked in the past, like he seems to put, you know, a lot of amazing people around him and, you know, then allows you guys to, to be very successful in terms of Endure IQ being bigger, uh, himself as like an athlete. Um, and then, you know, having success with, uh, Chelsea Sidaro, you know, did, did she, she won the Ironman world championships last year, right? Ironman world championship. Yeah. He, he, I mean, he also works with, uh, Javier Gomez. He works with Aaron Royal. He, Jan Van Berkle just retired, yep. but Jan Van Berkle, many time Ironman champion. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he, he's worked with some phenomenal individuals yeah. and he's gotten to that point where people want to have a conversation with right. him and it's just, it's nice not just to call him a boss, but call him a friend in that yeah. case. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's, it, that's really cool. I think, I, I think one thing, um, you know, that really stuck out to me in that whole story was that, you know, you're like, well, I really got interested in my own physiology and, you know, optimizing my own performance. And that's exactly what I talked to. Uh, so another co-host on the, on the podcast, his name is Dr. Robbie Jacobs. He was my master's advisor and, you know, him and I, we were talking yesterday about how a lot of people who enter the endurance performance field or like, you know, just like the applied physiology field were, were athletes or are athletes who aren't quite, you know, like they're, they're not professionals. Like they don't have like the genetics to just get them to like the top level. So, so then that kind of sends us down the rabbit hole of being like, Oh, well, what can I do to optimize everything so I can get the most out of whatever I I'm, I'm given. Right. And, you know, I think, I think that that motivates a lot of us who are like, like, yeah, we're, we're, we're close, but we're not quite there. Not to, not to take away from you. Cause it's cause like, I don't know. You guys don't know, like Aaron's going to go crush Augusta 70.5, but it's still, it's one of those things where, you know, not being quite, you know, like that genetically gifted, I think really motivates us to want to even do better. It's so funny that you say that because if you like, you listen to any type of podcast from like Steven Seiler, Paul Larson, um, Martin, all these individuals, like one of the first things they say were, well, I was an inspiring athlete, but I was not there. So I took this direction. I think Dan's one of those ones that actually, I mean, 100% could have made a living being a professional triathlete. He's one of the ones that kind of breaks the mold in that sense. But so many of our like, you know, partners in this field have that same start Mm -hmm. where I was just, I was, I was close but I was, I just didn't have enough, like given an ability to make it right. work. Right. No, I know it's, it is funny, you know, that <laughs> it is funny that we're all, you know, kind of coming to those conclusions. Cause I think, you know, as like, as a younger athlete, I think, and I, I held on to this idea for a really long time. Oh, you know, I could, I could, I could do it. You know, I could, I could be there. Um, and then the, the biggest eye opening thing is I went back and I ran cross country for a community college when I was 24 and I was racing against, you know, 17, 18, 19 year olds. And like I, I ran at nationals and after the first mile, there was already a group of guys that were like three minutes ahead of me. It felt like it felt like they were like, I was, I, I was like, Oh my gosh, like, okay, 
now I know what elite is. And then I did some, I did some track meets too with them. And, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't even in like the, the top heat. I was in like the third or fourth heat down in like, say a 5k. And there were still guys who were running like 14 flat and they weren't even the good guys on their team. And I'm like, I'm over here like, oh, 16, 10, you know, that's like, <laughs> which is like, like if you, if you look at it, you know, compared to other people, like 16, 10 is still really good. But, but then when you're like, oh, well, these guys in the, you know, the world championships just ran a 5k in, I don't know, 13 flat. And, you know, they didn't even run hard until the last 400. You're like, all right, you know, maybe there's, maybe I don't have, you know, the genetic talent uh, to, to quite get there. Right. (laughs) But also there's something to be said of having that, you know, blockage of not allowing yourself to think that you're not good enough to be there though too. So like you need to have a little bit of whether it be ego or whether it just be confidence, you you need to feel like you belong there. Mm -hmm. And the good thing about it is, and I think that that benefit benefits us in the long run is that we still hold on to that kind of personality Mm -hmm. and it drives us in another direction to allow us to always seek additional information or knowledge to apply that to our athletes or apply it to ourselves or apply it to other, other individuals to allow them to learn as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think one thing about that mindset, right. Is that it always keeps you striving for more growth. And that is, that is something that I think is is arguably one of the most important traits in any human being to have a fulfilling life. If you're going to have a fulfilling life, you have to have to have to have this this want to to grow, to learn, you know, to absorb more things, and you know, then through that, right, you'll eventually find something that you're like, oh, like I actually am pretty good at this. And, you know, then you're like, okay, now I can establish myself maybe as an expert in whatever it is, you know? So if it's not being a professional, you know, endurance athlete, maybe it's, you know, getting a PhD and doing something like that. Maybe it's, you know, doing something like Mm -hmm. yourself, like, you know, coaching professional triathletes and, and stuff. And also being able to continue to, you know, keep that dream alive of, of training and, and, uh, training and racing and, and being the best version of yourself you possibly can. Um, that was another lesson that I had to learn, you know, very early on in my, uh, undergrad career was, um, yeah, you're pretty smart, but like, unless you're putting in a lot of work and enjoying it, like you're nothing compared to, you know, other people who are willing to put in, you know, tons and tons of time of, of, of time and work and effort. Um, so so yeah, again, you know, more, more connections between, between life and life and training and everything. And that's something I've really been exploring a lot lately is like all of these different connections because they're there. Oh, absolutely. And it's the one thing I, I, I kind of look at that is, is you don't always have to rush to the direction that you want to go because sometimes it's not the right fit for you. Yeah. And Sometimes the the testing thing out approach works in multiple ways in life mm-hmm. and, and can bring you to that right pairing. And I just look back and, yeah, I've done a lot of different unique things in my life, but I now feel at this point I'm doing what kind of 
I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And it, it, it's, I was one of those ones that especially went through my twenties and my early thirties of like, man, what, what do I want to do when I grow up yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Eventually it just, you, you trip over something you get your hands dirty in it. And next thing you know, you're like, man, I love every, mm-hmm. like every single thing about this. Yeah. And it, it then just kind of fuels you on a day-to-day basis. And like you said, Phil, it's you're, you're almost starved for wanting to get more knowledge. Yeah. And that's when you know you're in something that's fitting it is when you just want to continue to learn and how to apply it to other things in your life and those around you. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. And I think like I'm starting to feel that like, you know, like I, I, I've been toying around with this idea of bringing the podcast back because, you know, had, you know, 50 or 60 episodes recorded on another podcast. And I, I love it. I love just getting to talk to people, getting to learn more about them, getting to explore the science behind, you know, endurance training and adaptation, everything. But then, you know, things got busy with the PhD and now, and then I was like, you know, I, I really think it would be a lot of fun and it energizes me so much to be able to connect with, you know, awesome people like yourself, awesome people like, you know, my master's advisor, uh, you know, Dr. Jacobs and, and I have a few other people who I want to be continued guest hosts because I think, I think that's kind of what I get jacked on is, is how can I, how can I get all of these perspectives on, you know, endurance training, endurance performance, and just, you know, performance in general. And how can I share that with people in a, in a setting, you know, that, that is kind of, you know, open for everybody to, to enjoy and look back at and all of that. So, you know, that's, I think that's a perfect place for us to kind of wrap up for today. Um, the, like I, like I will say in, in the podcast, you know, multiple times, the whole goal of this podcast is to help give you listeners as, you know, coaches, athletes, interested individuals, multiple different perspectives on how to use and utilize the science, the the physiological sciences in order to make yourself better. So with that, if you guys have any questions, comments, uh, shoot me a DM, uh, critical O2 on Instagram. Uh, all of these videos are going to be posted on YouTube. So if you're on YouTube, drop a comment down below. If you have topics that you want Aaron and I to talk about, you know, that are a little bit more on the applied side of things, uh, let us know. Um, Aaron, where can, where can people find you on social media? I am on Instagram at try a geyser. Try a geyser. Awesome. And, uh, I no longer have a Facebook account. So really I'm just operating in that Instagram world yep. over anything else. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at too. Um and and we'll you know, we'll we're gonna roll out all these podcasts to all the different places. But um if if you wanna get in touch with, with either Aaron or I, you know, you can find us on our Instagrams. Um and until the next one, uh we really we really appreciate everybody listening and um like I said, if you guys have any questions, let us know. Appreciate you having me on and I look forward to the future and everybody, I look forward to being part of the community. Yeah, man, this is going to be so much fun. Thanks.